The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. As a true football fan, you already know that Ducks fly south for the winter, baby, and they get wins in Arizona, a.k.a. Steelers Nation. So since you know that, you might know a little bit about football, and while you're at it, you might as well make some money. Because every weekend, our favorite Gridiron Warriors put their skills to the test, so why aren't you doing the same? We're almost, I wouldn't say we're almost done with the season, but we're way through the NFL season right now, so you better get off your butt, get off the sidelines, and get into the game with my bookie, because it's the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. Maybe you can relish in betting uh, for Joe Burrow instead of against him when he unfortunately is inevitably a Cincinnati Bengal for the coming years, but I digress. If you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to win a lot off of betting a little, try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. The best part is, if you join right now, my bookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in a thousand, they'll give you a thousand. That's double your initial deposit, so you can use it on all your favorite picks. Use the promo code Chair C H A I R to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Yeah, 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 When history is written, today's game will be here to for remembered as the Battle of West McKeesport. Of the 63,880 people in attendance, the 23,616 Arizona fans braved the frigid 60-degree weather only to be surrounded by the Pittsburgh Steeler diaspora and to be subjected to a 23-17 loss to a team that could muster a mere 275 yards of offense. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is December 8th, 2019. This is Tom in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And the good news is I hit the record button before we started. Mm. It's a good week. Uh, you're talking about me being in the Houston Outpost and you being in the D.C. Outpost. I think we're like equidistant to Steeler country at this point, right? I mean, I guess you're closer to the home stadium, but I'm closer to the home away from home stadium in Arizona because this felt like the Los Angeles Rams game. Again, there were defense chants that you could hear on the television during the first half of that Steelers game. I mean, they happened throughout the game, but yeah, it's Steelers West for real out there in Arizona. And once again, like we said, the Steelers are not going to blow anyone out this year with that offense and actually we're doing this podcast right after the game finished and I hadn't had a chance to look at all the stats so you saying they didn't even get to 300 yards offensively that sort of tells you everything you need to know but they did get yards when they absolutely needed to in critical situations although of course we know that this team is carried by an incredible defense which once again 
sealed the win with the Joe Hayden interception on the last play of the game. And, yeah, we got plenty to talk about here. It was an awesome game. And I'm going to say the same thing I said last week after the victory against, uh, what do we call them? I don't know, just the losers? The Cleveland, can they be can they be called the losers at some point? It's just because they do a lot of losing. Anyways, it's I'm ecstatic. What an awesome win. It's, 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 it's over a three-win team in Arizona, but just as a Steelers fan, it's, it feels so good because you see how incredible this defense is playing and how well Mike Tomlin is coaching, minus a play call here or there. And uh, it's just fun to watch these Steelers claw their ways to victory. You and I were talking before the game. We thought we were a little too comfortable with this, especially after our interview with Ed Smith last week and what we've seen. And honestly, it was kind of borne out. This was by no means a slam dunk. We were worried up until the end, until, I guess, that last drive and, you know, the, the sack ensued. But, you know, this was not uh, this was not a win that we could have just chalked up. Yeah. And you know what's funny is, like, I was saying this before the game. I think I tweeted this out. Traditionally, with all the good Steelers teams of the past 10 years, this is the game that we lose, right? A trip to the West Coast against a three-win team. Chalk it up for a loss for Ben, Le'Veon, A.B., DeCastro, Pouncey, and Shazier and those guys. They're going to lose. And that is sort of a staple of the Tomlin team. And you and I talked about this a little bit after the just inexplicable fake punt call that the Steelers had during the game. We talked about this. We've tried to keep it real with Tomlin the entire time. You know, when people were trying to rip him last year for losing games, we pointed out that they've done a great job going and basically putting themselves in a position to beat these elite teams. And then Chris Boswell had a freak, terrible season, and he missed a couple chip shot kicks. So the Steelers would have beat New England, you know, beat... Anyways, they would have gone like 12-4 and four if this guy can make some routine kicks. And he, everybody would have been calling Mike Tomlin a genius, but yet they call him an idiot. And we were here to tell you that people are overreacting. And now when everyone wants to call him Coach of the Year... I agree. He definitely deserves to be in consideration. But that also doesn't mean he doesn't do boneheaded things like mismanage the clock at the end of games and lose to bad teams on the road. So you and I talked about that before this game started, but we both share the same opinion where I think they're just more dialed in now and they know that they can't take any team lightly. And because they don't just have the freakish talent to get by it, where, you know, you can have Ben and A.B. just wing it on a week-to-week basis and just make huge plays. And Tomlin even sort of admitted as much in the post-game press conference. Somebody asked him about, like, you know, how are you winning these games or, or what are you thinking about right now? And he says, we are already focused solely and singularly on Buffalo, and that probably explains why we've been able to win some of these games. So I guess since they know that they're not, you know, overwhelmingly talented past these other teams, that... You can't look past anybody. Well, look at the uh, the running game was almost led by Duck Hodges. He had 34 yards. Snell and White had 41. And um, when you add up his total yards, you know, he, he was sort of the offensive star of the game. He was 16 for 19. Of course, we'll wait till the next gen uh, stats come out That's and we'll crazy. see how many of those went past the five, five yards past the line of scrimmage. But you know what? Yeah, it so seemed I mean, like he was he was a bit more. Did you think he was more under siege? I mean, he was sacked three times, which is pretty unusual for the Steelers. Yeah, there there's some pressure there, and I mean, uh, he did what he had to do to get the win. Honestly, he didn't throw the ball over. Made a nice touchdown pass. Made a nice pass here or there. I'm surprised that they didn't see him open it up. But it is funny seeing some of these articles, um, like 
after the game, there'll be headlines like Duck Hodges does the job, leads the Steelers to the victory. And it is, I almost wonder if people are being tongue in cheek because we'll talk about Duck's performance, which I really liked later in the, in, in the podcast here, but it is just hilarious how people see a team win like, well, quarterback did it. There he goes. There he goes. Brady, what another unbelievable Super Bowl win. Scored 13 whole points against the Rams and just Brady, magnificent, holding the Sean McVay Rams to nine points in the Super Bowl. Can this guy do anything except for win Super Bowls solely in spite of an incredible coach and incredible defense? Anyways, you know, it's people giving funny credit. But back to the West Coast thing. You know, you and I were talking about how this is the game the Steelers usually lose, and we figured they might be a little bit more dialed in. I think this is the first time in a really long time where they've actually won two consecutive games on the West Coast both thanks to Duck Hodges, who also, I think, uh, what's his name, at Schoolhouse Rocks, R-O-X-X, tweeted at Alex Kazora, famed Steelers broadcaster, tweet, Twitter mastermind, if you will. If by broadcaster, I mean Twitter mastermind. Uh, this dude tweeted at Kazora, like, when was the last time an undrafted rookie quarterback defeated two number one draft pick Heisman winning quarterbacks in consecutive weeks? And I guess it's Duck Hodges who beats, um, who quarterbacks the team that beat Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray in back-to-back weeks. So there's plenty of cool and fun headlines to come out of this. But like you pointed out, I mean, it wasn't for an offensive explosion. I think uh, if I want to get my thoughts together here, talking about what the game actually looked like, we can start getting into that. And that's basically when the game started, you knew that Pittsburgh had an advantage in both trenches so you should be able to just kind of manhandle the Cardinals on both sides of the ball but we know that we don't have a passing game that's going to be able to make enough big plays to actually kind of open the score up and it's not an incredible running game we don't have a running back who's just going to put the team on his back so it's going to be close no matter what but that's how the game started it started as usual very conservative play calling it's ground and pound they were very committed to the run And they just didn't want to screw it up for the defense. And when the defense was on the field, at least in that first quarter, I don't know about you, but Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offensive line looked completely overwhelmed by the Steelers defensive front. And that's how the game started. But then as it went on, I think some Steelers fans are getting turned on to why Kyler Murray was the number one pick in the NFL draft. I mean, this guy has no blocking. He has maybe average receivers at best. No offense to the great Larry Fitzgerald, who's 60 years old now. But even when T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree were collapsing the pocket as the game went on, the tide started to change when Kyler started to scramble out and make these long throws on the run because he, Bud and T.J. would collapse the pocket, but then Murray would be able to scramble out. And at that point, his receivers seemed like they're used to playing with him the same way Brown or Heinz Ward or Mike Wallace were famous uh, you know, for playing well with Ben, when you know, hey, he's scrambling, I'm going to break off my route and go somewhere random so that the defensive back can't cover me. It's going to be impossible for defensive backs to stick with guys like that. And so Kyler was eventually able to move the ball down the field. But at the end of the day, yeah, the offense for the Steelers opened it up a little bit as you went along, but it's the Steelers um, getting turnovers in crucial areas, which really is the, the difference of the game. That T.J. Watt interception in the end zone, I think they got three interceptions on the day, right? That beautiful interception by Joe Hayden when he broke on that ball. That was probably his nicest interception of the year. And uh, then, obviously, Joe Hayden seals the game again at the end of the year, or at the end of the game. 
on that Hail Mary desperation attempt. But yeah, that's how I kind of looked at the game going. It started very ground and pound. It's conservative. Feetner doesn't want to let Duck throw the ball downfield. But hey, um, they got it done. I mean, this is I guess this is the formula. I still would like to see them open it up a little bit more because I, I do think the Steelers could have crushed the Cardinals. Not that I'm unhappy about the victory. Well, I would like to see, we would all like to see the, the passing game open up a little bit. He only had 152 yards, but you know what, 140 rushing yards. I, know, I understand Hodges had 34 of those, but I look at that as a positive because yeah. he's not a, he's not a, maybe he's a scrambler. He's not a runner. Yeah. Right, he ran yeah. when he had to run. He, he got a couple of key first downs, but Kareth White, five, br- five carries for 41 yards. It's 8.2 carries, yards per carry. Whoop. And Benny Snell. His anemic 2.6 yards per carry, but a lot of that just seems to do have to do with the direction they're sending him in. He just can't go wide. He just needs to go in between the the tackles and see what he can get. It's where he goes wide where he gets killed. Yeah, because he he's not talented enough, just straight up, and we knew that from the beginning. I mean, the guy has negative speed now i will say this he's clearly been better than jalen samuels and edmonds at running back because he picked up early in the game he picked up where he left off last week benny snell with getting some extra yards um you know after contact and stuff like that and made some nice short yardage runs Uh, and i agree the blocking isn't totally there for him at all but it would be nice to see him you know do something extra impressive. He is what he is, right? And hopefully he gets some birth for next year. Uh, I announced this on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it during the game, but we are a Kareth White podcast now. We are the official podcast of Kareth White Jr. He is explosive as hell. This guy has done nothing but ball out in his uh, you know, first couple games with the Steelers, and I like seeing how they're giving him a bigger piece of the pie every time. And Maybe this is like a junior, you know, light, poor man's version of uh, an, an Alvin Kamara or something like that. I mean, he's even more of a speed guy than Kamara is, I guess. But I, I love seeing him get touches. And if I want to bring this back in more towards like a thematic place, um, these young skill position guys, starting with Deontay Johnson, who we loved that draft pick. He's had a very good rookie season, especially considering who's been throwing him the ball. He had that rough game last week with the fumble or whatever. I can't remember what happened. He had a couple boneheaded plays just off the top of my mind. I'm still high off of this Steelers win right now. But Deontay with the longest punt return for a touchdown in Steelers history with the 85-yard touchdown. And I was talking to you during uh, that point of the game. The Steelers this year remind me a lot of the Jaguars from a couple years ago who made the AFC Championship game with Blake Bortles playing quarterback, and they remind me of the Denver Broncos who won with old man, uh, decrepit version of Peyton Manning, who at the time was the worst quarterback in the league, throwing interceptions at a exponentially higher rate than anybody else in football. So both of those teams, the Jaguars and the Broncos, had offenses that really couldn't do anything. The goal was just don't turn the ball over and then occasionally turn some of these turnovers into touchdowns. And even like our special teams will make big plays. So that's kind of what the Steelers have right now. Deontay Johnson, the Steelers get their first punt return for a touchdown since 2017, since Douchey McGee returned one for a touchdown against the Colts and then jumped on the goalpost and did the spider monkey slide down there but anyways yeah it that's if you want to see why the Steelers won the game they are more talented than the Cardinals you know especially in the trenches 
But it's these big plays. It's the turnovers, and it's that part return for touchdown, which is such a huge difference. And we're talking about Kareth White, Deontay Johnson. Deontay had a huge game on offense. He played so well. So the reason why I mention, you know, the Broncos and the Jaguars and these other teams that I'm comparing the Steelers to is like, you shouldn't be able to win like this every week, getting these turnovers and punt returns for a touchdown, but yet the Steelers do just that. Um, and their offense, you know, it's not reliable, but I'll say this, it is so much more effective with Duck. And I know the numbers aren't there, but it just seems like when a play needed to be made, somebody would make the play, and it's a lot of these young guys. And Deontay had a huge game. He was kind of the star of the day. Obviously, he had a big reverse. He had another catch where he got tackled on a screen or seemingly tackled in reverse field and went all the way across the field and made a big play. Duck had a couple of the scrambles, like he mentioned, on like third downs uh, to convert. Uh, and there was another scramble he had on third down where he scrambled out to the left and hit Deontay. And these are just plays that the Steelers have some movement on offense now, and they and the athletes are being a- allowed to make plays where Mason Rudolph was completely hindering that with his just absolute utter lack of professional athleticism. And you're seeing that, yeah, the numbers weren't crazy, but Duck was 16-19, but a lot of those passes were you know, critical chain-moving passes, and there's things that don't show up on the stat sheet, like the two pass interference calls that Washington drew or the nice strike that Duck threw to Washington on a slant on a third down. So they were able to take advantage of some of these things, and it's just really interesting seeing, like, there's a bunch of guys getting the ball a few times instead of what Pittsburgh usually has been, which is a couple superstars getting the ball a lot of times, which, of course, is very effective. I'd rather have that. But they're, they're just being opportunistic now in a way that we haven't seen the whole season. I really think Duck has a lot to do with that. I was uh, going to criticize the Steelers because of the underutilization of Zach Banner. But you know what I think is going to happen? I think we're holding him out into the playoffs. Do you see how often he's open? Virtually every play. In all seriousness, actually, I am serious. It would be great. It would be a great... I mean, we're only throwing three yards past the line of scrimmage anyway. Give it to Banner (laughs) and see if they can bring him down. I'd like to see him use him at fullback. I mean, he's he's quite a bit bigger than Rosie, and you don't need to go that fast if you're that big. That's right. Hey, so the big big improvement for Duck, in my opinion, and you could see it's a stark difference from last week, where he was causing his own problems back there. He wouldn't stay in the pocket. And right. I just, I, my sense was he, he definitely stayed in the pocket today. He got he, um, he got the ball knocked off of his arm that one time for that fumble. But yeah, generally, Jones. he's better off sitting in, in the pocket. And he's, he's waiting for, his, uh, for an open receiver. And when it's not working out, he has been able to advance the ball you know, on his own legs. I just wanted to point out that I, I just saw that it was a remarkable improvement in one week. Yeah, it's like when you – and also that thing of like when he has the opportunities or when you need him to make a play, he's making a play unless Feetner is handcuffing him by calling a screen pass on second and t- goal from the 12-yard line. But we'll get to him in a second. Yeah, I agree. There's – like that stepping up in the pocket thing, he's getting better at it. It's awkward. It's weird to like – in the NFL particularly with how big and fast these guys are coming at you – the human reaction when you're getting rushed by a bunch of freak shows isn't to step at them. It's to run away. 
Well, Duck is learning how to step into the pocket, up into the pocket, and use that to his advantage. And even at sometimes take advantage of what's to be had on like these old ten yard runs. Like you said, he's not a runner, but he's he can scramble a little bit. I've said since day one, he reminds me a lot of Case Keenum. He's got that. He's small. He's not overly physically talented, but he can throw and he can run a little bit. And he's very confident and he's very decisive. He does not freak out. I think he even had another play on his touchdown, right, where he picked the ball up. The ball got snapped onto the ground and he picked it up off of there. So, yeah, it is night and day with him and Rudolph. And I put out a tweet that it is just I was a little bit I tried to temper our confidence in him at first because I watched Josh Dobbs and Landry Jones go from absolute unplayable crap on fire to dudes who actually could do something a little bit decent. Well, we'll never know with Dobbs, but he played better in the preseason. It's not a high bar to be set, but I, I understood that they were trying to develop Mason a little bit, but when I saw Mason and Duck, and we pointed this out in prior podcast, Mason can't throw the ball. I mean, he has the weakest arm in the NFL, maybe, and Duck has a little bit more on the ball, and he has a lot more on the legs, and you're seeing, hey, uh, we're, we're putting you in there to make a play every once in a while, that's all we need. We don't need you to go in there and win the game. We definitely don't need you throwing a bunch of interceptions. And he didn't do that. And then he went in there and made some plays when it needed to be happened. So he was really good um, as far as I'm concerned. And I agree with you. You can see the improvement in a short amount of time. Do you want to go to Feetner? You're not going to give him credit for that that reverse back to Hodges that he had. Okay. Shoot. So, so here's the issue. Here's the issue. Even what you just said reflects Twitter and football America in general. When I say that he sucks or that he makes big mistakes, it doesn't mean that he doesn't do anything right ever. Of course, there are a couple things that he did that were cool. And I actually tweeted about that. Freener, he's getting worse and worse every week. But, like, I'll give him credit. There's a, there's a good play here and then, but it's sort of like a, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Yeah, the reverse was cool. Um, but there's so much more bad that outweighs the good with this guy. And it's so frustrating that we're going to keep him because Ben likes him so much. Uh, and the reason why Ben likes him so much is because when Feetner's there, Ben's the offensive coordinator. And honestly, the offense works all right when Ben's the offensive coordinator. So maybe I don't have too much of a problem with it, especially trying to recalibrate something this late in his career. But, yeah, he sucks. Feetner is a moron. How is he in the NFL? We need to get him back to a Burger King stat. It's the predictability when every time I turn to you, it's second down and 10, second down and 20, second down and eight, second down and six, second down and one, second down and 23, second down and 13, maybe even second down and 17. They're running the freaking ball or they're going to pass behind the line of scrimmage to run the ball with the receiver. The second and the second and 12, it was, excuse me, second and goal from the 12 yard line. I don't know where it is in my notes, how much time was left in the game. But of course, you know, this dumb idiot is going to call a stupid screen pass. Oh, we're trying to run out the clock, by the way, at the time. So if you were going to be conservative, run the damn ball, which has as much of a chance of gaining yards as your stupid little screen, which we haven't gained a yard off the entire year. And he's just so predictable. It's like if you're not going to take a shot at the end zone and you're trying to run the clock down, then run the damn ball, you Dumb moron. 
God, I hate Fiener. So he has not a lot to work with. Of course, he's got a bunch of undrafted rookie free agents on offense, but he's also not helping them. Every week in the red zone, he has an aneurysm. And I'm starting to think last year's red zone success with the number one red zone team in the, in the uh, NFL, and now this year they have the dead last place, 32nd ranked red zone team in the NFL, and there's a reason why. Because last week he caught a quarterback sweep with a 5'10 Caucasian quarterback named Duck, and this week he's throwing screens on second and goal from the 12-yard line. He is an idiot. This guy needs to be detained. So, anyways, he's holding them back a little bit. And, again, I'm going to say the same thing I said last week. I get the conservatism, especially in the first half, because it has been working, and we have been winning games. And we, as long as you don't turn the ball over too much, the defense has shown that they will get you some points or get you in position to get some points. So I get that. But it's for the second week in a row, when you actually saw Duck get to throw the ball downfield a little bit, they moved the ball down the field. So... It's impossible for a quarterback to get a rhythm throwing 19 passes in a game. The announcers pointed out this dude threw 55 times a game in college. To go from that to have to be like a game manager where you only get a few throws every once in a while, there's a lot more pressure on each one of the throws. You don't have a lot of rhythm over how the ball is coming out of your hand on a given day, so it makes it hard on the quarterback too. And if they want to beat Buffalo next week and what's turned into be uh, turned out to be one of the most surprising primetime games of the year. If you would have said Pittsburgh-Buffalo in week 15 is getting flexed into primetime and has major playoff implications, you know, if you said that at the beginning of the season, we'd all say you're crazy. Well, it's a huge game, and they have a great defense, and if you're going to want to beat them, you can't just keep handing off on second and ten. And you're going to have to let Duck throw the ball down the field, and you're going to have to try to win the game instead of worry so much about losing it because at the end of the day, this was a cool win, but the Cardinals have three wins on the year. So you can get away with that against them and teams like the Cleveland Losers. But you, I just need to see the guy open it up a little bit. And I need to see him be less predictable. Every week we call the plays before he runs them. Okay. Thank you. Found it that, found it that point. I think we all know where you're Needed to be said. Needed to be said. You're on record. Can we switch to the other side of the ball? Let's do it. I'm looking at the, dri- the Cardinals drive chart. It's glorious. Punt. Punt, punt, field goal. And if you remember, that field goal came as the result of a Benny Snell fumble at which uh, the Arizona Cardinals jumped on it at hour 34. They only were only able to get 22 more yards and they got a field goal out of it. I think that's a uh, huge success. Yeah. And then the ensuing possession by the Cardinals was their biggest bestest drive of the 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 night 85 yards for a touchdown but after that interception interception td once again fumbled on our 32 and they were able to get that that short yard touchdown who fumbled that interception duck right isn't that the one where hold please no because on the one he fumbled uh filer recovered it I don't know why I can't remember this. Probably people listening to this are probably screaming at us who who actually fumbled. Oh, it. Barry. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you want to talk about that real quick? Tomlin admitted. Yeah. I think what happened was Tomlin admitted in the press conference that it was his play call. He did call that fake. Which let's do we have to guys even talk were saying that? <laughs> yeah, can we just say because there at first we were all screaming about the play call. Yeah, and then there seemed to be a. A, uh, a movement towards, oh, that couldn't have been. He, it was a broken play. Right. But it was so 
smooth. I mean, it didn't. There was no hitch. There was no look no. up. There would just seem to be like move right into that run. It was ridiculous. Tomlin said that he called it, but I think what happened because just piecing together some quick quotes I saw before us jumping on here. I think he called it, but then they somebody else tried to check out of it. But Barry doesn't have the ability to check. Either way, it was the dumbest, one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in my life. If you're if you're gonna fake it there. Don't run the fake to the slow Australian 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like, give it to an up back. I was at the Cincinnati game last year where Rob, where Golden threw the pass to DHB on the punt fake. Like, do something like that. Don't run it from 15 yards behind the first down. Look, you know what? Jordan Berry doesn't go to practice anymore. He's like he's like a expectant father in the 1950s when the wife is in the hospital. He just goes down to a bar downtown during the have a cigar and a couple of shots of whiskey while the team's That's practicing because right. he, he knows his his skill. He's got his... Punt it. Pratter, not punt it. This is what I do. Yeah. So he's not learning how to run the ball. Hell no. Although you would think an Australian, you know, he just looks... He looks like he's lithe and he's he's a lean guy. Like, But the uh, speed at which he came out of that, that crouch did yeah. not lead me to believe he could ever hit a hole in... Get yeah, we're talking down. about America here. It works. I think he was a rugby player or something like that, but that shows you the difference, doesn't it, people? Rugby's so tough. We play with, like, the 68th most athletic group of people in the world when it comes to pro sports. How hard is this? Wouldn't be hard at all if Devin Bush was tackling us because we have a science teacher who's actually pretty big, and he hurts us sometimes. Yeah, uh, that was the dumbest call we've ever seen. But look, that that makes your point. When we're talking about the defense, this defense is so clutch. They had an interception in the end zone. They had a uh, – uh, when we fumbled on our own 30-yard line, they made sure that it was a field goal and not a touchdown. They had another interception on another Cardinals drive that was going really well when Joe Hayden cut that guy off when he made that nice break on the ball. So this defense is absurd. And what was cool was you got to see them do it in a different way. I mean, hey – they got three interceptions off of Kyler Murray. They got three interceptions off of Lamar Jackson a number of weeks ago, and Lamar's only thrown one interception, I believe, since then. So you've got to see them do it against pocket quarterbacks, against really mobile quarterbacks, against kind of in-between guys like Mayfield last week who can move around a little bit. So they just find a way to win. And I guess we should start with Defensive Player of the Year, TJ Watt, because he played like a man possessed. And you could see how frustrated he must have been. Uh, no sacks. Although he did have the pressure on the final play where he hit Kyler Murray, which caused him to deliver the ball early and allow Joe Hayden to pick it off. But how frustrating must it be when like he's getting into the backfield, but this little dude keeps squirting out and getting around him? Well, TJ found a way to have an impact even when his main go-to bread and butter was taken out. And on that play near the goal line, I mean, we can all admit that Murray made a dumb mistake, right? He should have just ran for the first down, if not the touchdown. He had it if he wanted it. But what Mark Caballi tweeted out, he was at the game, I believe, he saw the play from a really good vantage point. And Watt was basically in the end zone watching Murray, and he had to make a choice. Is he going to come up to stop Murray on the run, or is he going to stay back to stop him on the pass? Well, Watt took two hard steps towards Murray, realized that he was going to throw, stopped it, and then picked it off. So just incredible how this guy keeps finding a way to make an impact. And when you have stats like interceptions and forced fumbles and fumble recoveries on there, that's that kind of defensive player of the year stuff that helps you get over the edge. And he's a deserving candidate. Interestingly, he only had uh, two tackles, but let's move to the other side of the defensive line. Bud Dupree, 
Five tackles, a sack, uh, three tackles for loss, and a quarterback hit. How many sacks does he have in the year? Does he have ten and a half already? Or is he at like eight and a half? Stall for me. Filibuster. Yeah, they both are just continuing this ascent. And now I'm getting to the point where every time I see him, it's like I was with Mike Wallace back in the day until I realized that A.B. was actually the number one receiver kind of halfway through that season. But when you have these lame duck seasons, like, oh, we're going to lose this guy or maybe we're going to have to franchise him, it's just too sad because this man, Bud Dupree, is continuing his campaign of glory. This isn't just a streak. This guy's a good player. He's really, truly emerged. You see him varying it up, and I thought he had a couple great plays on some of the read options, tackling the back. He had a really nice tackle on Kyler Murray. Kyler slipped a couple here or there, but either way, he made some really big plays, and and hopefully, you know, he was a developmental first-round pick, kind of controversial, if you will, just with how raw he is and how poorly the Steelers develop outside linebackers at, at that time. Well, Terrell Edmonds, another guy who fits into that mold, who had another... A couple nice open field tackles, but man, he is allergic to making plays on the ball. There was that long touchdown that Kyler Murray had to David Johnson on the right side of the end zone where I don't know what the hell Edmonds was doing. The ball was right there for the picking. He makes a perfect break on the ball and just, I don't know, I think he just blacks out whenever he jumps. Maybe there's some sort of condition he has because he just totally whiffed on the ball when he should have had a beautiful interception. And I think the guy has one career interception two years in and uh, hopefully he can take the path that Bud did because sometimes I, I thought that Bud, hey, he doesn't have any, you know, hand skills. You don't just develop those. Well, apparently you do, so maybe Edmonds can as well. Uh, Bud has nine and a half sacks. And just Man. to remind everybody, TJ, 12 and a half at this point. Hey, I, you know, of course we didn't record any of this stuff, but from preseason I think we did over-unders, right, on Bud Dupree 10 sacks. I think we both took the over to our credit. Yeah. We didn't think it would be in this impressive fashion, but we said, ah, oh, he'll get some cleanup sacks. He'll get some coverage sacks. My so prediction Steve- is we're going to put my bookie out of business this year because we are killing it. We're crushing it. We are. And you guys could be too. MyBookie.ag use that promo. We'll be able to chair. stop this podcast. We'll have so much money. We'll need to rely on the cash from this That's little right. bit we'll of entertainment. We'll talk to each other and not record it. Uh, are the Steelers first place in turnovers on defense and sacks? I mean, you know at least what? towards I- the top. Think they, uh, I think they are, but they don't update this until after. Okay, so. The Patriots lost two weeks the in The Patriots row. did lose, didn't Finger they? Beauty. I know that All they right. had at least one turnover I saw. So either way, I mean, the Steelers are yeah. right at the top. What do they have, 35 turnovers or something right continue. now? They had 15 last year? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It is That's crazy. That's all so, Minka Fitzpatrick. Bud Dupree <laughs> and TJ. I mean, they all. I mean, TJ was starting from a higher bar. But uh-huh. he definitely ascended from there, and just Bud Dupree. When have you seen it? It's sort of you know what it's analogous to. It's analogous yeah. to Boswell coming back after that horrible year, which you you predicted wouldn't happen. Yeah, because it, it so did. rarely it so rarely happens. And Bud, in his 18th year, decides right. to get serious about things. And man, who knows, man? I have to look and see what he had last year. Oh, please. I want to say seven and a half or something. Oh, six, like that. right? He had didn't he have six? Six measly sacks, and this guy is just. Yeah, they're killing it. So it is funny, you know, Bush and, uh, you know, Vinny and Barron, they were pretty pretty quiet in this game. It was a lot of our edge rushers and interior guys pressuring. Cam Hayward had a sack on that last drive, which really helped, you know, put the Cardinals behind the eight ball. But 
just these Steelers making plays on the ball. Joe Hayden, that interception, the first interception particularly is gorgeous. The second interception is an interception that the Steelers drop over the past 10 years, even when it's right in their hands. And they just know how to how to get the ball nowadays. And, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, I'm kind of getting towards the end here of my analysis. Obviously, we guys, you know, we talked about this before when we do the podcast, kind of like the night of the game, just because we don't have time. Uh, it's hard to sort of put everything together totally cohesively. I'm just trying to see if there's any other main points that I've missed. But overall, yeah, it's an opportunistic defense. And, and Kyler Murray is a very dynamic quarterback. And we pointed out he can throw. It doesn't take much. He doesn't need much room for him to make throws downfield. And obviously he can evade people. And the Steelers found a way to get around that. You know what really disappoints me? What? The guy who does the leaves hasn't, the landscaper, hasn't taken away the leaves yet. As you know, we rely on our landscaper for a clean lawn. Well, that's right. These days, you got to have values. You got to have priorities. And a clean lawn should be up there. But not only at your home. In your home, in your home. And I'm talking about your body. Because I'm talking about Manscaped. Because support for armchair comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Don't mess them up. Don't do it. You can't get another one. Or you can, but it's not going to be as good as the original. And Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer so that you don't have to worry about that. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so that this trimmer won't nick or snag the jewels, if you will. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and thank God, because they were starting to get out of control. And this is just one of those kind of things where you think, hey, this isn't a big deal. I've been able to get by with my sickle and garden shears for years. No problem. I've gotten used to it. You get used to anything. Well, guess what? You need to treat yourself. Because you'll be in a better mood, you'll be a better person, you'll have more time in your day if you don't have to worry about that kind of crap because these precision tools will save you that time and save you the worry. You know, stress is a killer these days, and you're going to take some away if you use Manscaped. They also got deodorants and moisturizers and all kind of stuff like that, and the best part is you get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Dot com. Always use the right tools for the job. Get that 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Hey, a couple of interesting stats. You, you mentioned that Deontay Johnson's 85-yard punt return was the, was the longest uh, touchdown punt return in history. Who do you think had the longest touch, uh, punt return? Antoine Randall. Brady Keys. Oh, yeah. How did I? 90 yards in 1964 against the Giants. The field was nine was 100 yards at that time, huh? Or was it just a 90-yard Brady field? Keys. And Brady Keys played seven different possession positions. That's what I'm talking he was about. A, he was a... Man. He was a man. He's a kick returner. Yeah. He was a... Uh, he was a right, right cornerback, RCB, and nice. a uh, punt returner. He spent... Oh, six, seven years on the Steelers, actually, before he hung it up. And now he probably owns a billion-dollar company because those guys back then, they knew how to start companies and with their flat-top haircuts and come out of there looking, smelling like a rose. That's right. 
Uh, did you have anything else, just in general? I have one kind of random point I was going to make about the game, but do we have anything else kind of major that we need to go over? Obviously, I've, Chris Boswell's playing well. That's pretty cool. So is Jordan Perry, besides the running. But anything else? That was it. I uh, One last thing I wanted to say. On Twitter, I saw some guy... You know, some people just hate Ben Roethlisberger, even... even Pittsburgh Steelers fans themselves. I don't know. You have whoever you are, get get over it. Stop. Like live your life. Be a happy person. Appreciate a Hall of Fame quarterback when you see it. Because now we're seeing what happens otherwise. And you're probably here screaming at the podcast. Are you kidding? We're on our way to the Super Bowl right now. Well, I don't know why you talked in that accent. But either way, I saw someone um, talking about the 2008 Super Bowl team, talking about that defense, and I don't remember how this came up, but they this person basically insinuated that Ben gets all the credit for that Super Bowl where I I have absolutely no idea where that is coming from. I think everyone acknowledges that that defense was phenomenal and Ben did a great job leading that team and that, uh, you know, Ben sucked and they only had 13 points or something against, uh, against that Cardinals, like 28th ranked defense and so on and so forth. And I love that argument, which is completely devoid of any nuance or any context whatsoever. But I just wanted to point, uh, I want to point something out about that because I think it relates to Duck now. Okay, in 2008, the Steelers had the worst offensive line in the history of organized football, right? And they didn't have exactly a star-studded cast on offense. And you might be yelling, that's Antonio Holmes and Heinz Ward. Yeah, those guys were good. They weren't great. We love Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward was a great football player, but it's not like teams were... He wasn't Terrell Owens or Randy Moss or these game-breakers during that time, right? So, and then the running back situation, good. Good, solid guys. It's not like they were overly talented on offense, and especially playing behind an offensive line like that, you know you have a great defense, and Ben managed to make a couple big plays per game in spite of this porous crap line which even tried to sabotage the great drive at the end of that uh at the end of that super bowl when they backed him all the way up to his own two yard line on the drive getting holding penalties in the biggest moment in the history of their lives but what ben was able to do is he played in within the context of that right and then when you later when you saw ben get a good offensive line and really good talent on the outside he started lighting it up and throwing for 500 yards which also needed to happen because the defense at that time was terrible. So football is about playing complementary football. So if you just want to say, he scored 13 points, then you're, then you're an idiot and you need to go away because you don't want to have a discussion, do you? You need to look at the context. So what Duck is doing right now, Duck also doesn't have a tremendous amount of talent around him. We are very excited about the young talent that's coming along with James Washington, Deontay Johnson, and Kareth White. Obviously, Juju hasn't been playing, but there's some good things to look forward to, but it's not like there's a Brown or Bell or Heath Miller out there who you can really rely on. And you definitely sure as hell don't have an offensive coordinator who's going to put you in position like Kyle Shanahan does for Jimmy Garoppolo so that Jimmy Garoppolo can throw 12-foot passes to George Kittle who will run 40 yards for the game-winning touchdown, and then everyone can talk about how Jimmy Garoppolo's game-winning drive saves the 49ers. But I digress. But we pointed this out earlier in the podcast. It's just the plays that Duck is making when and the times he's making them. You know, these 10-yard scrambles for first downs, the scramble out to the left and the strike in, in the red zone. Um, 
you know, picking the ball off the ground and throwing a touchdown pass. I don't think I'm conflating two plays there. Maybe those were two different plays. But either way, I know he completed a critical pass in the red zone, plucking the ball off the ground. Uh, the sidearm slant throw to Washington on third down. He's just... He's providing just a little bit more where the Steelers can play more complimentary football, and it has been fun to watch him. I'm very curious to see what the Steelers are going to do next week against Buffalo because they have a very good defense. Their offense has some talent, but it's not that scary. You're going to have, you're playing against another elite scrambling quarterback in Josh Allen, but I guess all I'm trying to say is I really completely expect the Steelers to come out conservatively next week. But I think they will be wise to try and throw the ball down the field a little bit and open it up because it, it, it's hard to ask a team to win a game 7-3 to three every single week. And that's kind of what they're asking them to do sometimes. Okay. I think you were kind of angry at the people on Twitter, not our audience, because I think our audience sort of understands all that. One of of course. Yeah, our audience isn't sensitive. They don't know I wasn't talking to them. Sorry, audience. No, because you're a bunch of men. <laughs> There's and we ladies out there. F- we got ladies. And ladies who are tougher than men. That's right. So we really appreciate. (laughs) Right. Well, we appreciate you listening. So hit us up on Twitter. You you can hear already. There's a lot of action out there at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at Steelers at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Buffalo. Right. Right. Go Steelers. Okay. Bye bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app.
That's all one word, Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.